1: now
3: Now, noblegoldinvestments.com.
1: This performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision.
4: Hello, everyone. Great to be live with you. I just spoke with an FBI agent who has now become an FBI whistleblower, who has new information on the FBI now targeting Catholics. Kyle Serafin is going to be joining me live here on my YouTube today to talk about this new information as well as... All of the other FBI corruption, we're going to talk about it ah how, how the FBI targets people based on their politics, how the FBI re- has recently targeted some free press journalists, how the FBI is working to stop its agents from becoming whistleblowers, because more and more of those agents are saying, this ain't it, this is not serving and protecting. And then we're also going to talk about how the FBI is zoning in on certain popular Patriotic imagery online, if you're posting a patriotic image, you may be a potential violent extremist in the eyes of of the FBI. We're going to talk about all of this. So before Kyle joins me live, shout out to the sponsor of my coverage, Noble Gold Investments. is pleased to let you know that gold is the best investment class for 2022. Real estate, crypto, stocks, and bonds, gold outperforms all of them in 2022. So what are you waiting for? Noble Gold Investments has helped thousands of clients buy real physical gold. Open a gold IRA or silver IRA with Noble Gold Investments this month and receive a free qu- uh, quarter ounce American Eagle Coin with every qualifying IRA of $50,000. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments and their thousands of five-star reviews. If you're not ready to invest, download the Noble Gold Investment Gold Guide instead so you can check it out. It is linked down in my description, ivoryheckergold.com. If you're on a mobile phone, just hit the more button. Of course, there's always a risk loss with any investment, but I'm a fan of noble gold. All right. With that being said, let's bring on Kyle Serafin live. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me.
5: Happy to be here. Thank you, Ivory.
4: Okay. So you just dropped this on me today uh, that t- Catholics are somehow being targeted by the FBI. What is happening?
5: Uh, I think the FBI has jumped the shark. They have officially decided that uh they're okay with being the bad guys they're going to lean into their baser instincts and do the things like we've seen the targeting of pro-life individuals that are praying outside of abortion clinics we've seen um you know other conservatives that are in political circles that have had their phone seized and and overt shows of force I actually just finished talking to roger stone speaking to people that got kind of abused by the system and uh what i had was a, a whistleblower inside the bureau sent me this document and I'm going to read you some of it, and I'm going to be writing about it this week because it it takes some explaining, but uh, I think your listeners will understand. The title of this document, and if you'll let me refer to it over here, is "Interest of Racially or Ethnically Motivated Violent Extremists in Radical Traditional Catholic Ideology Almost Certainly Presents New Mitigation Opportunities." So we got to break that down just a little bit. Obviously, racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists—that uh, almost always means white supremacists in this country. In fact. Uh, 99.9% of the time, that's what they're talking about. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, the new term that I'm not familiar with was radical traditional Catholic ideology. Um, I've been a confirmed Catholic. I was raised in the Catholic Church. I'm 41 years old. So I don't remember pre-Vatican II, but I'm actually a pretty conservative Catholic when things get down. I, uh, I went to Catholic schools, both parochial and some uh, pretty austere orders. I went to a Cistercian school and I went to Jesuit high school. So Cistercians are very austere. Jesuits a little bit more liberal. Um, you know, I learned Latin on purpose <laughs> for years. I uh, They did you know, Gregorian chant when I was in fifth and sixth grade at the mass that I attended every week. Um, so I'm I'm pretty familiar with the Latin mass. And what this says here is that the radical traditional Catholics, which have their own acronym now, RTC, which is crazy to me. RTCs are typically characterized by the rejection of the Second Vatican Council. And for those that remember Vatican II, this would have been a uh, change in the Catholic Church's presentation that the priest started facing the congregation instead of facing away. The uh, the idea was uh, initially that the priest was offering on behalf of the front of the people, you know, prayers up to God. Now he sort of performs the mass in front of people. They moved from the traditional Latin mass which has been available for, you know, 2000 years and they moved it into a vernacular which is to say the local language of any given area. So if you're in um if you're in France it'll be in French and if you're in Germany it'll be in German, if you're in the United States it's in English. So this was something that not everybody liked and um it it kind of rep- it represented maybe a softening of the Catholic stance on a lot of things. And so this idea that people who liked the old school, and there are many people that I've gone to that are going back this direction. They're actually wearing women are wearing uh, veils over their hair because they think it's a little bit more modest and they're wearing a little bit more chaste clothing. And you know, nobody's getting chastised for not being like that, but there are is a backswing in the Catholic church right now of people that want a little bit more traditional values looking at the secular life that we see and how many people have gone into the excesses like the Grammys last night where the you know, actual people dressed up like Satan Um The the idea that you would have a quote-unquote radical uh, traditional Catholic is pretty absurd, but uh, but I understand what they're actually talking about. So this particular document is an intelligence product. So it's written by an intelligence analyst who is looking out into the Richmond AOR, the area of operations that the FBI maintains uh, visibility on, and saying that these people are... In danger of being recruited by white supremacists because Catholics have things in common with white supremacists. Namely, they are not in favor of LGBTQIA plus lifestyles. Part one. Shocking that people would learn that about Christians. And the second thing is, is that they don't like abortion. And So obviously, that means they're white supremacists. This is the FBI's logic on it. I, like I said, I'm happy to get longer form. And I'm going to write a long form piece about this because it does bear some uh, some breakdown. But they believe that there's a significant overlap between these two sections, white supremacists, and people who like the Latin mass, and want the old school Catholic back the pre 1960s Catholic mass. It's It's just insanity. Like there's nothing that makes any sense about this.
4: So I'm wondering, is the FBI now surveilling Catholics to determine if they're extremists? And how do they determine if they're extremists? And what do they think these people are going to do to somehow harm our country?
5: Well, the best part of it is, is they've identified certain groups of Catholics, whether it's the Catholic Family News, Catholic Family Ministries, um, Christ or Chaos is an is a organization, the Culture Wars and Fidelity Press. They've listed like a bunch of these things. They're all listed as hate groups by... You're never going to believe it, but the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is obviously a very, you know, nonpartisan organization. When I was actually at Quantico, and I I went through Quantico as an agent, but we had intelligence analysts that were training right alongside of us. And they taught these um, intelligence analysts that the Southern Poverty Law Center was not an acceptable source as a reference because it was too partisan at this point. And it historically had some, maybe some better ideas, but now it's just basically all just left-wing ideology. So, they're actually citing this as a source. They cited a couple of really wild uh, articles. One of them was in uh, the Atlantic. Let's see. They they cited a, a website, Salon, which you know to be a very neutral and unbiased source of information. Um, they, they cited uh, an Atlantic article, how extremist gun culture is starting to co-opt the rosary. That's not a joke. That's an actual headline that uh, the Atlantic wrote. And so these people that wrote this this intelligence product were referencing these as the source of their information, which is pretty amazing. Uh, the last piece that I saw in here that I thought was pretty impressive was to say the FBI will not be monitoring people based on their First Amendment protected rights. That's obviously false because you're actually targeting them for being Catholic. And there's a piece on here that I thought was truly unsettling, which was to say that the Catholic churches may be a jumping off point to promote violence. And I don't know if anyone's been to Mass le- recently, but I go to mass every Sunday. I've never heard anything about violence other than sort of the violence that was done to Christ on the cross. It is a uh, it is just not it's antithetical to any Catholic service or any Catholic group I've ever heard of. Um, Apparently, they think that we're putting our, you know, our rifles, our pew pews in the pew. That uh, that is not the case in any church I've ever been to. But, uh, you know, so be it. That's this is our FBI today. It's just it's it's unbelievable.
4: That's crazy that they would be targeting a Christian group. And I'm looking at the comment section now. Uh, Cynthia's saying, good, they need to wake up to the deceiving Catholic Church. Yeah, I know there's a lot of Americans who don't like Catholics, but here's the thing. They're, do we expect them to stop at Catholic?
5: No. That, wow. In fact, the person who gave this.
4: At this rate,
5: the, yeah. The, the person who gave it to me is a Baptist, and he told me he's now identifying as a radical, uh, traditional Baptist. I have to assume that the next group will be Lutherans and Calvinists and anybody else, because it's not about Catholics and it's not about traditional Catholics. It's about people that have traditional values that fall under Christianity. Um, that's the reason why they're going after people that are in pro life. Uh, this is a full leftist, you know, push inside the bureau, and it's not everybody. Just like let's be real clear: I don't think that this is very common. It's just becoming accepted that you can't push back against it that's why it's scary
4: Wow and you also just today provide me with a list of leaked FBI emails they're very interesting we'll get into but first I want uh, I want to get your background uh, for my viewers who don't know how how you left the FBI and what you're blowing a whistle on what people need to know about what's really going on in the FBI
5: Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about how I got there first. Um, I joined the Air Force in 2009 under the assumption that I didn't have another route to get to the FBI. I didn't speak another language and I wasn't a lawyer and I wasn't going to be a CPA and I don't uh, have a computer programming background. So uh, I joined the military. I went into special operations in the Air Force. I did three and a half years of training there, became an air traffic controller and I went through pararescue in and, and I was a combat diver and, and a number of other things. But um, uh, basically spent my whole whole term of service uh, in training domestically, um, separated honorably, had a VA rating from the from disabilities that I uh, accrued during my training, and then um, uh, threw in a package and was hired on by the FBI in June uh, 2016. So I went to Quantico June 2016, got to the field office in late November, early December of 2016, and worked in the Washington field office for approximately five years. So I worked two years of counterintelligence against the Chinese threat, which is uh, an interesting animal in and of itself. Then I spent three years on a specialty surveillance squad doing what I would call low visibility or semi-covert um, surveillance, primarily against counterterrorism targets, where I feel I'm very comfortable talking about the wrongdoing that the FBI has got going on in those particular uh, arenas. And then we also worked a little bit of everything else. So I worked gangs, I worked drugs, uh, I worked white-collar crimes, we did uh, child sex trafficking, like you name it. If there's a crime that the FBI is involved in, then our surveillance team was doing what we call Pfizer or physical surveillance on targets of those investigations. And more often than not, uh, they were not particularly alerting to me. They were things that you would expect to be in line with it. But our our CT threat or the counterterrorism was a big problem. Uh, After three years of that, you can only sit in a car for eight hours a day or more. For so long. And after, you know, a thousand days of that, uh, I, I took a voluntary transfer down to Las Cruces, New Mexico, thinking I was leaving the politics of D.C. behind and moving into a kind of a different life where I could just work on some basic criminal activity. Um, I started working on the Mescalero Apache Indian Reservation, which is not a very desirable post for people in the FBI. But uh, I wanted to do it because I thought it was a need. And I've been a paramedic for over a decade, so I have a, a good medical experience, and I've been around people that have trauma and crises, and so I've also, you know, seen dead bodies, and that's a lot of what the work is. It's going to suicides and and sexual abuse and and you know violent beatings and going to the hospital and interviewing victims there. So it was a good fit. And then um, the COVID mandates came up, and when they came up, they were simultaneous to something that I saw, which was my first whistleblowing activity. So Joe Biden's executive order fourteen zero four three said we all had to get COVID shots. I'm a conscientious objector to that as a, as, a, uh, as a Catholic and as a pro-life person. And right then, the, the Attorney General went on October 20th and got in front of Congress and stated the FBI would not be using counterterrorism resources against parents at school board meetings. And five days later, we got an email saying that they were going to do that. So I went to Jim Jordan's office, and I leaked a, a memo that is now two copies have been made public. Uh, one was mine, which was first, as I understand it. The second one came in, and then on November 16th, Jim Jordan announced, that they had received these whistleblower um, reports that the FBI had created what's called a threat tag to tag intelligence about parents uh, at school board meetings, which was EDU officials. That was going to be the, the tag that was on all the investigations into these parents. Um, one of my friends actually pulled those tags and saw there were upwards of two dozen parents actually being investigated by the Bureau. Some in- interviewed, some were dismissed before actually getting into a formal interview, but they had, um, they had actually gone through with investigating these parents Uh, And that started a whole series of a whirlwind for me. I got kicked out of the office. Um, I spent um, November and December on paid leave, and then uh, January, February, and the beginning of March on unpaid leave, and then uh, came back in for six weeks before they took my badge and my gun away on April 18th last year. And that kicked me into overdrive. So since then, I've disclosed all kinds of other fun stuff. Um, (laughs) I've gone to Project Veritas with a militia, violent extremist piece, which you were talking about earlier patriotic symbols, that Gadsden flag and your um, your 1835 Gonzales battle flag, which I had in my gym, um, things that like every veteran and every patriot that I know either has on their t-shirt, has hanging up in their garage, or is tattooed on their physical body. Uh, these are things that the FBI called militia, violent extremist symbols. And so that was atrocious. They also went on to uh, impugn a company that's a guy named Mike Glover f- founded, who I've been a follower of Mike Glover for a while. He's a Green Beret and an American patriot. Uh, worked for the cia as a contractor and did protective stuff overseas so like they did some really awful stuff there uh we exposed a another piece which was an election crime the cheat sheet which said that misinformation and disinformation are crimes which they are not and so that's absurd but that came out of more intelligence people that were working out of headquarters and sent this out across the fbi uh and since you know since september of last year i've been public i went on dan bongino's podcast and spoke out and I've just been doing it ever since. Mostly we're speaking out and sharing all this information because it's the American people's right to know it. It's their information. And I'm fairly confident that if I don't keep telling people what's going on, then the FBI is going to find a good reason to kick down my door. So we'll just keep being as loud as possible. (laughs) That's kind of the, that's the kind of world when you don't trust your former employer and I don't think anybody should.
4: Right. Wow. Well, thanks for what you're doing. Yeah. I want to share this, article uh that has screenshots of uh the plethora of evidence that you and other whistleblowers have been putting out i actually linked this article down below this just came out today right
5: that's correct. Yeah, and we can uh, talk about it just a little bit there. That piece that you're showing, those, if you want to scroll down to those slides. Yeah, th-
4: this right uh, here.
5: Yeah, this was a recent disclosure we made to Congress last week. What that What that indicates is that the FBI has combined two trainings that have historically been separate for at least the six years that I was at the Bureau. And every year you have all these sort of like Uh, banal trainings it's like what happens if somebody's bleeding at work and how do you handle classified documents and you know all this other kind of stuff how do you use the government travel card properly but um, they have two things that you do every year one of them is called whistleblower protection which is supposed to tell you that you're protected if you go and blow the whistle on wrongdoing violations of rule policy or law and the other one is called insider threat training and that's to let you know how to look for spies and traitors that are working at your agency Uh And what they've done this year is they've combined those two in sort of a veiled threat saying, um, you know, you know, you could be an insider threat, essentially, if you become a whistleblower, because there's only narrow definitions of a whistleblower. And what I found out today, literally this morning, I found out that the FBI accused me of being an insider threat to the Uh FBI as a potential like vulnerability. And because of me being an insider threat to the Bureau, they moved me onto a national security squad because they're clowns. Like it's literally in the same paragraph of an interview. They said Seraphim was confrontational, and we were concerned about him, and we referred him to the Insider Threat Office because of his behavior, and that's why we moved him to a National Security Squad where I was going to be working on the most sensitive possible, you know, uh, cases that the, the office had. Because it's absurd. It's a just it's an absurdity that's the way this agency is handling their people. Um, but it wow. is it is something people should know about.
4: Yeah, I'm seeing this chart right here down below uh, under. Th- The theft section. It includes unauthorized disclosure,
5: which is what they're going to accuse me of because I did that. I, I mean, I was not authorized to disclose things. But what's fun is before I went public, they gave me a letter that said I was relieved of all my duties and my responsibilities as an FBI employee, and I could no longer represent myself as such. Technically, they believe that I'm an FBI employee right now, even though they haven't paid me since June 1st of last year. So I'm an indefinitely suspended FBI agent waiting to be terminated because as of today, I found out my security clearance was permanently revoked. I found that out this morning as well.
4: Well, yeah, government whistleblowers are supposed to be protected because that's a good thing if the government is no longer following the law.
5: You right. Know. There's, no, there's no accountability mechanism is the thing. So the FBI is uh, – there, there's two different whistleblower protection acts. One is 5 U.S.C. 2302. That's for all general government employees. And then the FBI has its own special carve-out because if you actually look at that law, Uh, 2302, it exempts the FBI, the NSA, and the CIA from whistleblower protection, which is a pretty big problem when they wrote it in 2012. So they corrected that problem in 2016 by rating uh, 5 U.S.E. 2303. But what it doesn't say is what's the penalty on the government agency should they choose to abuse
2: No
1: Fireflare.com.
5: so what what they've done in my case, and they've done this in at least uh, somewhere between a half dozen and a dozen others. There's actually a case that uh, Judicial Watch is working right now on behalf of a man that I don't know, but I'm certain that he's in the right just because of what they did with him. Um, what they do is they made some allegation, then they suspended our security clearance, and then they revoked our security clearance because they can't fire me without putting me through due process. I'm a tenured government employee, but I have no right to a to a security clearance, that's adjudicated under a thing called Navy versus Egan, which was a, a Merit Service Protection Board case. And because of that lawsuit, uh, which was 1989, because with the the courts have ruled that you have no right to a security clearance, they can pull the security clearance, and now you can't do your job because you're not allowed to do your job. And so they can get rid of you without ever going through the due process that is afforded for all other government employees. It's very sneaky. And apparently, it's pretty new that they're doing this kind of thing. But they have discovered it. And the woman whose emails you referenced earlier, she's the lady who signed the letter. So we went ahead and shared 150 pages of her insanity because she's a clown, too.
4: Wow. And we'll look at those emails in a sec. But I really quick want to show the screenshot in this article. Oh, here it is. Uh, yep. Militia, violent extremism. Now, they list several images, including the don't tread on me snake. You've, we've all seen that yellow flag. Don't tread that, on. that's me. actually a
5: license plate in like six states.
4: Yeah, it's just it's very common and uh, patriotic, uh, symbolizing limited government, uh, as well as the Betsy Ross American flag with the 13 stars. Which Obama
5: and Trump and Joe Biden were all inaugurated underneath.
4: And the come and take it flag.
5: That's right. Uh, That's the 1835 Gonzales battle flag, which was on the back of Ted Cruz's boot when he was talking to Chris Ray about it.
4: Wow. And then this one's interesting. Any revolutionary war imagery. They have a little black and white drawing of a revolutionary war soldier.
5: Mm-hmm, like um, a minute man.
4: Yeah. So the
5: fact that like it gets it gets worse if you look up above you on the right hand column there, it says warrior culture, which is something that we expressly try to indoctrinate into our military members. Um, you know, I was an airman, but I was a ground based airman. I was in a uh, sort of a combatives role. We want our infantry to be warrior culture. We want that. Like, that's what we teach. That's the whole purpose of basic training. Whether you're a, uh, you know, a Marine infantryman or you're an Army infantryman or you're, you know, going into the Coast Guard and defending our, our borders, or if you're in the Navy and flying up in the air and or you're out on a boat, like the whole point of this thing is that we are a warrior culture to be able to protect the homeland. So this is explicitly basically targeting what I would say is a veteran and a law enforcement, like. Every cop, I know, most SWAT teams have those things on their patches. Um, many SWAT teams have them on their vehicles. It's totally absurd. If you look at the second page there that we showed, if you'll look, okay, so you'll say the symbols of the militia networks. The uh, the number three one, which is the American Contingency, if you'll read what it says there in that small writing, uh huh. it's telling people that it is an online militia group with a low history of violence. That's Mike Glover's organization. He runs Fieldcraft Survival. And- American contingency is like a thing on locals that you can join up and meet your neighbors and find out who has a generator and who's got a backhoe and who knows how to like, you know, throw sandbags together and who knows how to skin a deer or has a, you know, like a processing thing. It's literally for people to be able to handle disasters, Um they do like flood wow. preparedness and this kind of thing. And they have no history of violence. But in the FBI speak, probably zero to 10 instances equals a low history. 11 to 50 is, you know, medium or whatever whatever metric they had. So they said low history, but it means zero, which is a, just a ridiculously offensive thing to say about somebody who's literally gone to war for our country for over 20 years. Uh, like I said, that's the guy who, who founded it. He was a, um, a sergeant major in the uh, special forces. So uh, a retired Green Beret, an honorable human being. He's a really good dude too. He texts me back whenever I hit him up, um, and that's his company. And they were they were calling him a domestic terrorist.
4: And then, of course, we get the Oath Keepers logo here, and they talk about how they say it's a loosely organized militia group uh, formed of military and police officers who take uh, who take to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. The, they're they're keeping their oath. That's why it's that, called. That's literally
5: what the oath is. I've sworn that oath at least three times.
4: And and so prior to January 6th, there were, as I recall, thousands of law enforcement officials across the nation from local sheriff's departments, et cetera, who, you know, active and retired, who were a part of Oath Keepers
5: mm-hmm.
4: uh, as a club of a club of, you know, police and military. And they would do private security for events. And they were not at all considered to be some terrorist group. No, But it was spun that way in the media, maybe with the help of the FBI. I'm know. certain of
5: it. What's crazy is apparently this document's been around for a while. They just keep updating it. Um, this was the most recent one that I was get a copy of. But uh, this goes out to local police departments. Here's also what's crazy to me. I separated from the military in 2012. I'm pretty sure I signed up for Oath Keepers, put my email on a list there with them. And why wouldn't you? Because yeah. the oath, as there's a there's an old expression, the oath doesn't expire until we do. Um, you don't swear it for a term of service. It's a, it's a swearing that you're going to basically pledge your life to that oath. And so you have to be honorable to it. It doesn't mean you have to actively go out and do a whole lot. But should the, the need you know arise in this country, that is the purpose of the oath. That's why we actually have an armed services. That's why we have law enforcement swear it. And it's why federal employees do it as well. So pretty nauseating to know that that's what they're out there doing. Um, that they're
4: looking for those generic patriotic symbols and saying this may be a domestic
5: terrorist. It's it's giving them a reason to, to be able to substantiate allegations. So what people have to understand is that there are really two different types of investigations in the FBI. Number one is going to be a criminal investigation. People would be familiar with that, right? A criminal investigation is allegation or information that a criminal ac- uh, action happened, and then we're going to find out who did it. And it's linear. It's straightforward. It's like crime. And then we find out who does it. And then we go and we like, you know, indict them in a grand jury and then we take it to court or they plea out and then they're either not guilty or guilty, right? Very easy. Um, that's it. That's criminal. The second one is called intelligence. Intelligence is a circle. It doesn't ever end. It doesn't ever have to end because it never starts with the allegation that anyone did anything wrong. We could have one based on you. You could just say, okay, well, Ivory's out there. She's talking to Seraphin. Seraphin's a problem. We know he's a problem because he said whatever he said. And uh, so we're going to open up an, an, an a intelligence investigation into you because I'm a militia violent extremist, obviously. I mean, I own guns, so I'm a problem. And so you could be a problem because you spoke with me. They could open up the investigation into you and then just run it forever. They could check yeah. your Facebook. They could say, well, she's talking about it. She's talking to people that are a problem. Um, you know, she put up this, this Betsy Ross flag back in the day. And so that's a, that's two points of contact. And we'll just keep spinning it around. Then they get your bank records through a secret subpoena, then they get your toll records and they find out who you've been talking to and texting. And then they go out and they check all your social media. And they, if you got a private account, they're going to ask for your DMs. They can get that with a, a secret search warrant and so on. So they can go and do all these tools. And why wouldn't they? Because that's wow. what they actually exist to do.
4: Incredible. Okay. Before we run out of time, I want to show the Jennifer Moore emails. Jennifer Moore from the FBI. I was scrolling through it. Now this one right here, this section, it says, um, Talking about the arrest of this one man, it says that they conducted social media exploitation to find mm-hmm. any potential ideological motivators and or triggers. And she's celebrating her agent for doing that and then arresting this man. Uh, I mean, what is what does she mean by social media exploitation? The FBI is exploiting people.
5: So social media exploitation, or the FBI's acronym is called SOMEX, is a technique which can be used with a a number of different tools. Uh, I did a couple of segments on Bongino's Fox show about this, and it's like, they uh, they use uh, different tools. Data Miner is one of them. Babel X is one. There's one that's called Zero Fox, F-O-X, which is kind of funny because they must have snuck that past the sensors when they named it. But um, what they are doing is they're going on your social media with a very powerful tool that can scroll across the, all the platforms. And it is looking for keywords. It's looking for buzzwords. It's looking for um, you know specific hashtags and maybe even images and memes. And it's going to go and pick up the the elements of what, constitutes your social media. Exploiting, it just means that they're looking for information and they're going to use that information. So to be able to do that expeditiously, they can't necessarily go to every one of your social media platforms and then type in all the search bars individually. So they actually have tools that will do that. And uh, the most recent one, Babel X, it's about $1,000 per user license. The FBI is committed to $27 million worth of buying their licenses to use them. And so th- this this tool exists for them to use for for exploitation. And it's literally. Um, what can we find that you've post and does it validate our assumptions that you are motivated by some kind of ideology? And so, you know, you, you put up like a, the storm is coming, like a lot of these, um, you know, Q types or the Trump supporters might have in the background, you know, the storm is coming or a gathering storm or get ready for the storm and all this, they could type in storm variants And have that run out there they could type in ultra maga they're not supposed to but they could and they could go grab everybody who put ultra mag in their profile because joe biden said it was offensive um they could do anything they want because it has a very capable search ability and then you know they're theoretically supposed to be checked theoretically they're supposed to be checked by the uh the chief division counsel, which is the the lead lawyer in the office but that doesn't mean that there's always they're always going to have the same view of the constitution that i do or that you would and wow. so, yeah, so she's praising them for doing what they do, which is exploit social media. This is like a wildly unprofessional thing. Uh, people can find it on my Twitter uh, and my handles. Actually, I put that instead of my name, but you can yes, just read I through have, it. I've it's linked uh,
4: Kyle's social media down in my description. Uh, but, and I've also linked this direct link as well. If you guys want to read through these emails. Yeah, she, I saw that she uh, talked about arresting a couple people, uh, apparently Responsible for Officer Sicknick's death on the January sixth, but in actuality, <laughs> Officer Sicknick, God right. rest his soul, died the f- following day of two strokes, unrelated, and a blood cl- a blood clot. Yeah, completely, you know, unrelated. I'm sure he totally. had, had that new stick in the arm.
5: Right. Which is the real question that wasn't being discussed right then. I mean, we weren't having the whole died suddenly situation, but right. it's amazing. Um, there are senior members of the FBI and people need to know the general for more is the executive assistant director of the human resources branch. She runs all of the training. She runs all of the I always feel like I'm counting out things, but she runs all of the training, all of the human resources and all of the security clearances for the entire FBI. That's what her position is. She makes $212,000 a year to do that. And she's writing things like whoop, whoop and raise the roof and big frowny face in emails to everyone that she that works for. I, I'm not exaggerating. It's in there. She also divulges some probably classified information discussing a, uh, a Russian operation that we were doing that uh, had no business being exploited there. It's, it's really scandalous that she wrote these things. What's crazy is Congress has had these for over a year and... And now now
4: that the House, you know, Republicans have control of the House, I'm reading that they are now going to be interrogating this woman for their their select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government, which, by the way, I'm reading they created that subcommittee um, for investigating weaponization of the government with uh, thanks to you and other FBI whistleblowers.
5: Yeah, can I, can I say a piece about that? That's kind of sad. I want to just temper people's hopes, unfortunately. Sure. Um, my friend is one of the, he's the person that actually dug up all the cases on these parents at school boards. And he did so at, at some risk to himself. And obviously he was removed from his job because of it. And uh, he also uh, made disclosures to Congress about what had happened to Project Veritas and how they were an actual news media organization and that they were being investigated, uh, antithetical to the, the DOJ's policies. When he did that, he was removed. He had a two-week-old daughter. He's got three other children, so he has four children. And he was pulled off. He has been unpaid as well since maybe August of last year. And he was invited to testify in front of this committee, and the committee told him he had to pay his own way. So we paid it out of our gifts and go to make sure that he wasn't out of money because he hasn't had a paycheck in six months. And they're not even willing to pay for whistleblowers to come in and testify for them. He was set up to go this Thursday. He just got bumped for, for Tulsi Gabbard. Who has what going on? Like, what does Tulsi Gabbard know about what's going on in the FBI? And I would argue very little. And he also got bumped for a former FBI agent who was on Fox News, who looks like a Fox News Barbie, which is fine. Except she didn't blow the whistle on anything. She literally just resigned from her job and had nothing to do with. She had nothing to do with any whistleblowing activity other than she showed up on Hannity. So these are the people that they bumped for a legitimate. Uh, um, American infantryman who was in the army who was a local police officer and then an FBI agent who blew the whistle two years into his career and said this is unacceptable and he worked domestic terrorism the guy actually knows what's going wrong so it's, it's really gross to think that that's what this this committee is doing and if we're not calling Jim Jordan to the carpet on a regular basis I think we're all screwing up so people can tweet about that all day if they want they should
4: all right everybody hit up Jim Jordan make sure that he is serious About investigating the FBI corruption. Okay, really quick, I want to get your take on ABC journalist James Gordon Meek being raided and arrested by the FBI. This idea that the FBI might plant child porn in some cases on people's computers in order to take them down as uh, testified by former CBS journalist Cheryl Atkinson. What's your take on all that?
5: So you did a really good job on it the other day. I watched it. I had several people send it over uh, after we had talked about it. And so you were, I think you're correct. I've never seen that activity. I don't want to say that I have, but I don't think that it's beyond the possibility at this point, because I don't trust the way the FBI operates, that they would not be, that somebody couldn't have gone after him. And I don't think it would be somebody in the FBI. So it's not a badge and a gun carrying person, but they talk about it. You listen to Matt Gates, talk about it, you know, dark operations going on. There's a lot of strange intelligence Units that exist inside the US, the Department of Homeland Security has an enormous budget, people don't realize it, but it's like $120 billion. The FBI, by contrast, has an $11 billion budget. So something 10 times the size of the FBI is out there running around domestically, the CIA operates domestically, which people don't realize, there's a group called National Resource Group, or National Resource Division, and they run around and recruit sources domestically, as FBI, I mean, as uh, CIA case officers. So there are a lot of intelligence operations happening in the US. On a regular basis, the idea that somebody would go after a, um, a threat to the regime, and it seems like me Meek, makes was that thing. It just makes me have a lot of pause when my friends were briefed on it. They said that it was a Dropbox tip. Um, my other friend, a, a whistleblower named Stephen Friend mentioned that Dropbox tips almost invariably come from people who are so dim that they they don't understand technology or they were legitimately like clinically mentally retarded and they are they don't know what they're doing. They can't be responsible for their actions. And those are the only people that do Dropbox tips because Dropbox is unsecured. And there's almost no chance that someone like Meeks who hangs out with retired special forces guys, uh, people that are, you know, like my friends, we all use end to end encrypted apps. We don't mess around in places where the government can easily access our information. There's no, I have very little belief that this guy was so dim that he had no idea what he was doing with it. If he was in fact trafficking and child pornography, those are, that's a real cagey bunch, by the way, like, There are people that have dead man switches so that if they walk away from their computer, things automatically delete if there's a search warrant. And so there's like there's operational um, plans to be able to preserve evidence when they go in and do some of these search warrants, uh, which I've done uh, just a small number of. But enough to know that those those groups, they have some very sophisticated types that are that are trafficking in that stuff, because obviously it's highly volatile and it's uh, abhorrent to most people. So it's just it's very unusual that you would see that with him. Also, if you remember, the original the original leak said that it was classified material, which was interesting, because we knew right away that wasn't true. Uh, like I said, my buddies were on that raid.
4: Wow, very interesting case. And he's a journalist. Journalists are allowed to have classified information. They
5: are. You're correct. Yeah, as you said correctly, uh, there's a New York Times case going back to, I think, 1974. I think it was uh, U.S. versus New York Times or, or vice versa. But uh, it, it actually proved the ability if they had gathered that that classified information to publish it, that they had a right to publish it, should exactly. they obtain it. Now, the person but who that, leaked it would go to jail. <laughs> but,
4: exactly. But that could have been incentive for FBI to raid him and find something else because they didn't want him to publish what he had his hands on.
5: Yeah, uh, it's really so, hard to say. And, and obviously, he's been doing some some pretty pressing um, exposés on the on the Biden administration failures.
4: Totally. So that's a case that we need to watch and yeah. get to the truth because we just don't know. But given the fact that he was investigating the Biden administration. And then he gets raided by the Biden administration. We just need to double check whether there was, that was retribution. Um, I don't want to keep you too long. Cause I know you said you have a Twitter spaces thing coming up to talk about more of what we're talking about.
5: That's right. We're so, going to keep doing it.
4: <laughs> everyone please click uh, on Kyle's Twitter down in my description and you can join his Twitter spaces and hopefully, I can have you back on to talk more about all this corruption when we have time. Absolutely. Thanks for everything you're shedding light on.
5: It's Uh, my pleasure.
4: All right. We'll see you later. Go join us, Twitter Spaces. Talk to you next time.
5: Hey, thanks so much, Ivory.
4: Bye.